0: So, Father, we just thank you that that was your plan from the very beginning, that you saw what our hearts needed. You saw the plight that mankind would find themselves in, and you had the solution before you even created us. We thank you so much for your resurrection life, and we thank you that as we uh, meditate and think and talk about your resurrection, that that life just bubbles up inside of us more and more. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So I wanted to talk about the resurrection and how it affects our daily lives. I know in this church, we talk about the resurrection every Sunday, and then we go over it during the week also. But you know, you never can get enough because it is not only a one-time event. It is our life. It's what ministers to us, it sends the nutrients to us so we can have a oneness with God that he planned for us. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. So I'm going to talk first about the historical event of the resurrection and then we're going to talk about how that life affects us. The resurrection is a historical fact. It happened on a particular day in a particular year. So we're going to just look at some of those events. I want to paint a picture for you so you can feel like you were there, so you can feel like you were a part of it. You know you were there. You were crucified with Christ. You were buried with Christ, and you were risen with him. What an amazing thing to realize that in the most important pivotal time for mankind, God made a way for us to be there and to participate with him fully. So a lot happened the week before the resurrection. Jesus went into Jerusalem on a donkey and the people were in the streets praising him, calling him the Messiah, but very quickly things changed. Jesus was arrested. He was brought before Pilate. He was interrogated. He was mocked as the king with a crown of thorns. He carried a cross. He died, nailed to the cross. He yielded up the ghost, crying out, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And then he died. The earth, reacted to the Son of God and the Son of Man being nailed to the cross. Scriptures tell us that the land was in darkness for three hours while Jesus hung on the cross. And when he died, the temple had a lot of change too. There was a veil in the temple. And the early Jewish tradition says that that veil was four inches wide. It was around 60 feet tall. It couldn't be handled by man easily. And it said that when Jesus died, that veil was torn into from the top to the bottom, not the work of any man, but of God. That veil signified that man was not allowed into the Holy of Holies before. Only the high priest could go in and once a year and with a rope tied around his legs so they could pull him out if needed. And Jesus, coming and pouring out his life, beating and overcoming death, our death, not his death, our death made it so that man could enter into the holy of holies. We could now come boldly into the throne room of God as we were, know that we were loved and accepted. What else happened in the earth when Jesus died, it shook, there was an earthquake, rocks and boulders were split in two, graves were opened and the bodies of many who had died were raised to life. And it says after Jesus's resurrection, those people that had been raised, they went into the city and appeared to many people. Amazing, the power that was released. It affected the earth. It affected the veil in the temple. It even affected people that had already died. It affected our relationship with God so that we had free access to come into God's presence. This one-time event, the resurrection, would affect mankind forever. We celebrate Jesus' resurrection. or Easter Sunday once a year, but really in our hearts, in our relationship with him, we're celebrating it every day. It was a great day of victory. God's heart was in the middle of the resurrection. The resurrection is what poured out of his heart. His heart was always to rescue us from what was harming us. And although it was an event that happened once it became the source and power for us to live daily. That's how it was for the disciples after Jesus' resurrection. The resurrection and the crucifixion were the things that were on their minds and hearts. It affected everything about their lives. In fact, it was so important that Jesus told them to wait in the upper room till power was imparted to them. Listen to what the disciples said. This is um, what Luke uh, records, Acts one twenty one. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us to the resurrection. That's what they wanted. The disciples were looking for that one that was going to replace Judas and they wanted someone that was going to be a witness to the resurrection. They were looking for someone who would testify to the power of Jesus being crucified and then him being resurrected. It doesn't say that they were looking for someone to preach behavior modification. No. It doesn't say that they were looking for someone to teach rituals that would please God, or even the need to please God. No, the resurrection was the focal point of the gospel. Don't we think that's what it should be now and today? Yes. Eternal life and immortality were greatly esteemed. The disciples preached the true gospel, the resurrection of the dead into a life of immortality they had seen a man full of death be buried and then raised out of the tomb in a glorified immortal body, what else would you want to talk about? What else would you want to preach? The church today in so many ways has fallen from that pure gospel and it's involved itself in a gospel that isn't a gospel at all. It has mistakenly focused on its own works instead of the works of God. It's focused on the works that are found in mortality instead of immortality. It's focused on the things in this fallen world and not on the things of God. Now we wanna look at Paul's uh, focus and compare that to what we see in much of the church today. This is in Philippians three. Paul says, my determined purpose is that I may know him That I may become progressively, more deeply, and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly, and that I may in that same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, which it exerts over believers. Paul wanted to know. The power that flowed from Jesus' resurrection that it exerted on believers. The resurrection was so much more than a historical event. It's the power that dwells in believers. It empowers us to live our lives above the circumstances that we may see here and have a relationship and oneness with God. We're going to look at the power that the resurrection produced in Paul. His life had been immersed in the desire to know Jesus more clearly and more deeply, to know the power that outflowed from it. This power of the resurrection had set Paul's affection on the things above and not on the things of this earth. All the things that Saul considered gain Paul considered dung, and that was the work of the crucifixion and the resurrection. Saul went from being in the ranks of the church, full of earthly praise and the works of the flesh. He was heading probably towards becoming the next high priest. He went from that position the preaching the very gospel that he had been killing people for preaching. What an amazing change. What that says about the change that this resurrection does within us, with each one of us, as we let it grab us and have its way. The word that's used there for power is dunamis. It means a force, miraculous power, ability. Abundance, worker of miracles, strength. The resurrection, that word means a standing up again, a resurrection from death, a moral recovery of spiritual truth. So we can expect that we're going to see some things. We're going to see some miracles happening. We're going to see ourselves becoming new creations but not in our own effort. We're gonna see where we begin to know spiritual truths that we didn't believe before. In fact, before we believed the opposite. We see this power that worked in Saul, this power that was outflowing from Jesus' resurrection. It exerted itself powerfully in Saul. And I believe that Jesus gives us a clue that as I preached the last time, I talked about that word that comes and it keeps coming and it keeps coming and it doesn't stop until it consumes everything that can't stand its test. Saul was instrumental in Stephen being stoned to death. He saw Stephen talk about seeing Jesus at the right hand of God. But Saul was here on this earth I mean, not Saul. I'm sorry. Stephen was here on this earth when he saw that vision into heaven. Saul was also there when Stephen cried out to God and said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge as he was dying. He heard and saw this resurrection power coming from Stephen. But that didn't stop him. Saul continued in his threats and slaughter against Jesus' followers after Stephen's death. As he headed to Damascus, Jesus himself appears to Saul in a glorified, immortal body. That can shake you up. He heard, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul didn't have a clue who was talking to him. And he said, who are you? And the reply was, I am Jesus that you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. What? Jesus had been beaten to a pulp and buried. And yet now this same man is alive and in a glorified body and talking to Saul. What were those pricks that Jesus talked about? That Greek word for pricks is kintron. It means to prick, a point, a sting, and a divine impulse. I believe that the pricks that Saul was experiencing was the power of the resurrection exerting itself upon his heart and life, to set him free from the bondage of death and restore him to his original design, immortality. This resurrection power would show Saul that it wasn't his works that pleased God. And that man had spent years trying to please God by his works. This resurrection power was going to show Saul that it was God's pleasure to serve him with life. There is a power that flows out of the resurrection that produces the ability to stand up again to rise up out of death and into life, a recovery of spiritual truth. This same power that flows out of the resurrection comes to do a work in our hearts. How powerful is this power? Powerful enough to raise a dead man to life. Powerful enough to raise a dead man in the grave for three days. To life. Powerful enough to raise a valley of dead bones to life. First Thessalonians says, "For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Powerful enough to raise mankind out of the grave to meet Jesus. It doesn't matter how long they've been asleep. Three hours, three days, three years, three decades, 3,000 years. This power can raise the dead to life. I wanted to do a little demonstration of power, but I decided to refrain from that because one of them would make a mess and the other one might rattle people. (laughs) So I'm going to leave my little gadgets right there and save you all. (laughs) The power of the resurrection had the power to transform Saul, who was impressed and obsessed with his own works, into Paul, who called his own works dung in the glory and light of God's actions. Yes, this power can certainly raise the dead. And this power can also raise the living, right in the here and now, out of the bondage of the death in the world, into light and life. Within its power, there is an ability to, yes, even embrace the cross. Let's look at that resurrection power that worked in Paul again. He said, My determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may become progressively more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly, and that I may in that same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, which it, it exerts over believers. I remember many years I stopped right there because I didn't want to read any further. (laughs) But it goes on to say, Paul says, and that I may so share his suffering as to be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness, even to his death, in the hope that if possible, I may attain to the spiritual and moral resurrection that lifts me out from among the dead, even while in the body. How amazing that we can experience this resurrection life before we leave this earth. We can have it here. It is ours, it belongs to us, it dwells in us. And it comes to exert itself in our hearts so that we can have a closer relationship with God, be one with him in a greater and greater degree. There could be no resurrection without the cross. Let me say that again. There could be no resurrection without the cross. Yet the carnal mind is all for the power of the resurrection, but it wants to flee the cross and the death it produced. What death? was produced at the cross. The cross produced the death of death. It produced the death of death. And that produces life. We need to have a revelation of the cross and what happened there continually so that our minds and hearts can fully embrace the cross and therefore also the resurrection. Eternal life did not die on the cross. Death is what died on the cross. Its marriage to mankind was dissolved. Eternal life was being created on the cross. Eternal life was coming out of that empty grave forever. The cross brings us to a place of life. The cross is a place of glory it is the place where God revealed his heart to all mankind. He stepped out of heaven and became one of us to set us free from sin and death. He took our sin and our death succumbed to it in his mortal body for us. And then he beat death. And then he was victoriously raised to glory and immortality. Yes, the cross speaks of Jesus taking the burden of our sin and death onto himself. Yes, it speaks of our divorce from sin and death. Yes, it also speaks of us resting in a father that cared for Jesus and showed us how much he cared for us. And we praise God for those things. But let's not overlook that the cross also speaks of the mystery of a seed (coughs) that falls to the ground and dies. John 12, Jesus said, the hour is come that the son of man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. He that loves his life, shall lose it. And he that hates his life in this world, They'll keep it unto life eternal. Where does the power come from to be willing to die to the things of this world? Where does the power come from to hate our life in this world? Where does the power come from to give up the ghost. It's from the power of the resurrection. That's where. In Mark 8, it says, And when Jesus had called the people unto him, with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life, they'll lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the Gospels, the same shall save it. The world today has a word to describe what Jesus said. It's called an oxymoron. It's where you have two opposing thoughts put together in the same sentence. How can losing your life save it? doesn't make sense to the carnal mind. But the faith of the Son of God has a word for this also. And we can read about it in 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. God called it foolishness to those who were perishing, But to those who were saved, the cross is the power of God. The cross is the power of God. Nothing to be feared. Nothing that we should um, run from, but something to be embraced. And it's the power of the resurrection that opens up our eyes and our hearts so we can see clearly and understand what the cross really is. And what it means to us. Not only is it the power of God to save us out of the world of sin and death with immortality, but it's also the power to save us right in the here and now while we're still in this world of sin and death. Save us from what? Death. All forms of death. Fear. Fear of things going wrong fear of having lack in an area, it also saves us from ourselves trying to get life in this world for ourselves, thinking that that's going to give us what we want. We think until the revelation comes deep enough that it's the things in the world getting those things, that that's what our heart really wants. But you know who knows our hearts better than us? (laughs) Our wonderful Heavenly Father. And he knows what we wanted, and he knows that getting a new car wasn't what was going to satisfy our heart, or being a millionaire, or any of the things that might try to get lifted up in our hearts that we think we need to be happy. He knows those things weren't going to do it. And so he made sure that he provided what God had, that God knew our hearts wanted, yes, joy, yes, love, yes, peace, but from him, not something that fades and washes away because that thing died. God's love and joy and peace never die. It's immortal just the way he is. Unfortunately, most of the American church and even the church worldwide has preached and believed and lived in a gospel to get life in their own strength, where the resurrection is no longer the focus of the gospel. And it's a very sly and sneaky lie. I was in it for a lot of years, and I thought I was doing exactly what God wanted. And it took revelation. It took repeated revelation. It took the Word of God coming and consuming like a fire, those things that were resisting the truth of God so that I was able to, I don't want to say finally, (laughs) but I was able to recently, there we go, recently able to really grasp that, no, the things in the world can't make me happy. And you know how I know that besides the word of God, you get what you want and maybe you wait a whole long time and you work a whole long time and you get that thing that you want and five minutes later, Something else happens, and now you realize you have another want. Do you stay happy with the thing that gave you your joy five minutes ago? No. You totally push that aside, and now you're going after the next thing. And the next things never stop. And that's why it becomes a life of thinking that you lack and always working to try to get something that is not going to satisfy. Thank God he came and revealed the truth to us so we could be set free. This gospel that's no gospel at all actually moves people in the opposite direction of the cross and the resurrection. It takes our focus off of God and what he has done and it puts it on ourselves and the things of this world. Why would we ever want to put the focus back on ourselves. Isn't that why God came? So we could be free from trying to save ourselves. But again, the carnal mind often gets tricked and it believes that things of this world can give it peace. A lot of time and effort has been spent into this um, endeavor. Do you know how many Christian books have been written on how to get the earthly thing that you want from God? Many, many, many books. And I really believe that these people are sincere. I really do. But they're misled. And that's why it's so important that we keep hearing the gospel, the true gospel, so it can bring revelation, so we can know what the truth really is. 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 36 says, But some will say, How are the dead raised? And with what body do they come? You fool, that which you sowest is not quickened except it die. What you sow is brought alive after it dies first. Death comes before the resurrection and death comes before the resurgence of life. Paul said, I died daily. Paul was always dying. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that he wasn't lifting one finger to preserve his own life. And that is a dying to ourselves, isn't it? We just wanna get in there and just do just a little bit. We're just sure we can help God out. God wants to set us free from that. He wants that thing to die so that we don't trust it anymore. Paul was always dying, so more resurrection life could manifest in him. 1 Corinthians 15, 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. Listen to the sowing and the reaping. It is sown in corruption and it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Now, let's go and just go back in a minute and look at Jesus. His mortal, corruptible body was sown, and God, his Father, raised him up in incorruption. His body was sown in dishonor and shame, and it was raised into glory. It was sown in what looked like weakness, and it was raised in power. It was sown in a natural mortal body, but it was raised immortal and spiritual, sown in death, and life came forth. A little further in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, For this corruptible must put on incorruptible, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruptible, incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Do we see this mystery? What is corruptible is sown and dies, and then new, new life is brought forth. I'll bet you if we asked Jay's mom today, how is she enjoying where she is? How is heaven? She <laughs> wouldn't have one negative thing to say. Went, well, I'm doing good, except I have a headache. No, he is never going to encounter it. In fact, I believe she's forgotten what a headache even is. That is the kind of life that God gives to us when our mortal bodies are sown and die. It isn't a bad thing that happens. It's victory. It's victory. It loses its sting. Yes, for us that are left on the, on the earth, we have some emotions and grief to deal with, but not like the unbelievers, because we know what that death is going to produce when it's sown. Life. God always saw us as one with him, members of his family. So in his heart, he always saw us as divine. But man lost sight of who he was in sin and death. God came and showed us in the resurrection what our original design is. Immortal, glorified, God beings. Our original design. mm, We're the God kind. We were created that way. Our design and who we are, lives best by God's life and the life and the way he lives. How are we removed from living the me kind of life, operating under the serpent's lies, and moved back into our original design, the cross and the resurrection, death to life? This isn't just a one-time thing. Yes, Jesus died once and for all. That's true. But he gave us this example to be seen, and it's repeated over and over in our lives. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a grain of wheat. Paul died daily, over and over and over, which means he was resurrected out of a carnal way of thinking into God's way of thinking over and over and over. This mystery in the cross and resurrection that Jesus portrayed to us in living color painted a picture for us of mankind's plight under the weight of death. But it also produced mankind's freedom from its grip. We were shown the cross is the true way to life. It is in dying that we find life. It is in dying that we are brought to life to bear much fruit. There is the foolishness of the gospel again. There is the world's oxymoron. There is the mystery that the carnal mind cannot get a hold of. But to those of us who are saved, it is the power of the gospel, the power of the resurrection. There is a lot of dying going on in the life of a believer. We die to how we see things, so we can see how God sees them. We die to the way that we reason about things so we can reason the way God does. Even our faith must die. That was a real hard one for me. I had been trained, man, and taught. My faith was something that I had built up and strengthened and you did not let go of it. And when I started hearing about the faith of the Son of God and that it would come and do a work in me, I had such relief and joy and peace because I had worked so hard. And you know, you can tell when your faith isn't getting it. That happened quite a few times every day. It just couldn't get it. (laughs) I tried. I wanted. I did all the things I was taught. I declared. I read, I repeated, I declared, I read, I repeated. And yes, it looked like my, my faith was getting stronger, but it never was strong enough. And then I found out that there was a faith of the Son of God. I was given this new reasoning that I could just trust in his faith and mine could die because mine wasn't accomplishing anything anyway. If we're afraid of du- the dying process, if we're afraid of letting go of the things that we've hung on to, that we think give us life, if we're afraid of giving up the ghost, it's okay. Because we've got somebody that's bigger than all those fears. So when you come up against that obstacle and you realize that you're reluctant or resistant to give up something, who are you gonna call? Ghostbusters? No, Jesus. Jesus, his faith, his resurrection. It's gonna come and exert itself in your heart so that you're able to let the carnal mind die to what it's believed and held on to for years, so that you can pick up God's way of reasoning, what God sees and what God wants to do for you. He doesn't want us to do it for ourselves. It's his good pleasure to come and do it for us. The power in the resurrection life is the strength that persuades us to embrace the cross to give up the ghost, to let that seed, that carnal seed die so it can produce much fruit in life, God's life. The power of the resurrection persuades our hearts to see everything the way God does. God sees sin as the enemy that tries to destroy his children, not their bad behavior. God sees the true state of mankind's plight. It wasn't, never was a moral dilemma as most of us were taught, but it's a life and death dilemma. For death or sin has tried to conquer our minds and hearts to reduce our value to the sum of our behavior, good and bad. It causes self-condemnation and judgment of others. And that's one thing that I want to touch on uh, real briefly. This is something, at least for me, it took a while for parts of it to die so that I could see things clearer. And by clearer, I mean what God sees. So if I'm not seeing what God sees, I'm wrong. You don't have to question or wonder about it. You're seeing things incorrectly. So. If we think like uh, the carnal mind and we're reasoning the way the carnal mind reasons, we're judging ourselves and those around us by their behavior, good or bad. But the power of the resurrection comes. And what does it persuade us of? Our value. It comes and it persuades our hearts of the value of every human being. We are not a sum of our behavior, good and bad, but our value is declared in the resurrection of Jesus as equal to the glorified, immortal body of Jesus, seated at the right hand of God. Now that will begin to really work in your heart. Do you know how hard it is Be critical of yourself and others. It takes so much energy. It robs us of sleep. It tries to get justice for itself. It makes us miserable, agitated, aggravated, churning inside. We weren't created to judge our behavior or others by their behavior. And when we do, it produces a miserable life. But when we let the persuasion, and the power of the resurrection come in and show us the value of people. What that's going to produce in us is the faith of the Son of God, and we won't see people the way we used to see them. We'll see them as God sees them. So much nicer. You can go to bed at night and smile. You don't have to have anything against anybody. You don't have to be having Fences all around your heart to protect yourself. As we let the judgment that our carnal minds make fall to the ground and die, we are immersed in the judgment of God and what he sees when he sees people. And life is born in us. This resurrection power that was unleashed dwells in us now. It bought for us our immortality to empower our lives so we can walk in the same life that Jesus walked in, so we can see the way he saw and we can believe the way he believes and we can judge the way he judges. It enables us to embrace the cross fully, even resting in the cross, which is the place that God's light and life are birthed in us. The resurrection, yes, a one-time event. The corruptible body of Jesus put on the incorruptible. The resurrection, yes, the power that dwells in us here and now, daily, so that we like Paul and like Jesus are strengthened to not lift one finger to preserve our lives, but our hearts are enabled and persuaded to trust in our Father and rest in Him. We die to our own strength, which is no strength at all, so that the life and strength of God is made alive in us. And I would like to close with a prayer uh, from John Fazio's uh, book. This is the Epistles of Paul to the Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. What? What's the name at the bottom? Oh, the Faith Translation. Thank you. (laughs) The Faith Translation. So this is a prayer uh, from 1 Corinthians 15. Thank you, Abba, for your resurrection power that exerts itself in us so that we may be intimately acquainted and intertwined with you in the hope of the glorious power of your resurrection and that by sharing in the fellowship of your suffering, where you did not lift one finger to preserve your own life, but trusted in the Father, that our hearts would also rest in you, being formed in the same image as yours in the death that you died, so that in that same manner as you did, we would attain to the resurrection of the dead. And we thank you, Father, that that is your work, And that the work that you have begun at the cross and the resurrection, you are faithful to finish it in our lives and hearts. Amen.